goodness, speed once again, and he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Hi everybody and welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast with me, Marcus Lombard. Today I meet the former Bermudan triple jumper Brian Wellman. Brian had a great career and competed in four consecutive Olympic Games. Moreover, he won bronze at the 1993 World Indoor Championships and in 1995 he won the same competition with a championship record and a national record of 1772. During the outer season of 95, he took silver at the World Championships, leaving a national record of 1762. Brian's 1772 placed him on 10th place of the all-time list indoors. In this episode, we will go through Brian's all-big competitions, like World Juniors, World Champs, indoors and outdoors, and the Olympic Games. We will talk about how it felt to win the World Indoor Championships, about what happened during the 1993 World Indoor Final, and about the secrets behind his amazing step phase. Brian also talked about his no-wise mindset, how he came up with that, and how it helped him during his career. Enough talking from me, let's jump into the episode number 12 of the Triple Jumpers podcast with Brian Wellman. Warm welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast, Brian Wellman. Uh, yeah, hi, uh, you lovely audience, and thanks for having me. Appreciate um, the interest in old, old guys such as myself into uh, into the sport, back into the sport, I should say. How are you doing today? Ah, not too bad, pretty good, can't complain. So, as you said, you're you're older now, Your your career is long over. Uh, what are you doing nowadays? Um, I just have a regular job. I work uh, as a longshoreman, uh, stevedoring, which is um, container ships in in the city. And um, I do a little bit of coaching um, part time. So I have. We don't have. Well, let me give you some background. My um, country. We only have sixty thousand people as a population. And so our our talent pool isn't massive. So the usually the most talented kids are the most talented kids in everything. So I had a young man who I was coaching who got seventh at World Youth in the triple jump, but he ended up becoming a soccer player. So now he plays professional soccer. So so but that that's that's the the issues we have. So I, I coach. I have well. My personal group I had, all my kids have gone to college, the young people, young men and women now, have graduated college and, and this young man is playing pro pro football or soccer actually. So but um yeah, yeah, that's that's about about the size of it at the moment. Okay. Um and now recently we received the news that the triple jump is getting cut from the Diamond League. Uh what are your thoughts on that? It's travesty. I mean, I think because then, so how too full? How do you prepare for Olympics and World Championships without you know world class competitions? And two, how do you how do you grow the event if you can't make a living doing it? So not everybody's got shoe sponsors or sponsors where they can make a bunch of money from their, the sponsors. They have to go to Diamond League meets and you know be able to make a living in terms of that's the profession. So to me, it's I, I see you know as a bunch of triple jumpers have said some things and trying to get the IWF to because in the past I don't understand it because in the past they used to do one year it was triple jump one year it was long jump they would split the events in half right. Yeah. So I I don't know why they should they should go back to that that format if it's about a, a money thing where you know you still had meets that had triple jump in them because I like when I was competing I know all the British meets would have triple jump because you had Jonathan Edwards and so they like to highlight their athlete who's good in their event um, and then the next year 
all the meets would have triple jump because it was diamond league. And then the next year would be long jump. So to me, that's the, the answer to the situation, not to just cut a couple of events because, I don't know, somebody at the top thinks that they're not. And it's funny because right now the triple jumps is still fairly, I mean, you got some pretty good jumpers. You got Christian Taylor. You got um, Will Clay, who's both, you know, both these guys have jumped over 18 meters. Pachado. You had a, quite a few guys behind them who've jumped, you know, pretty good. So the top half of the triple jump is actually pretty, pretty exciting. And the women's triple jump. So I, I don't know. I don't understand the decision. Yeah, we hopefully they will they will bring it back. Yeah. If we take it all from the beginning, could you uh, give us a little description of who you are? What got you into track and field, and how you became a triple jumper? Um, Brian Wellman, Bermuda, uh, I tri- uh, triple jumper, um, four-time Olympian. Shoot, I've been to I've forgotten nine or ten world championships, world indoor championship uh, gold medalist in '95. I had the world championship record for nine years. Um, well, same thing. I'm I'm from a little country, so in the school system, you did all the sports, and track and field was something I, you know, did a little better than the other sports and football and cricket, and and that was the main three: track and field, football, and cricket for myself. But so I was a better track and field person than than I was in anything else. And we had uh. Uh, guy, he's a news anchor person now, who was the national record holder before me, and we had this competition in in the Caribbean and Bermuda we call Carifta, which actually we'll host next year. It's all the Caribbean countries: Jamaica, Trinidad, Bahamas, Barbados, all those countries. And so it's an age group under 17 and under 20. So it's two age groups, and it's a really big Caribbean um, um, junior meet that comes up with, that we host during Easter Easter break. And so that that was a meet when I was really young, before I was old enough to even compete in it, that we hosted in Bermuda. And I saw, like I said, the guy, Mike Sharp's his name, who was was a sports anchor now, um, compete and actually win um, the triple jump. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And so I remember asking my college, my high school coach, um, actually my primary school coach, my coach at the time, you know, hey, how, you know, I would like to do that. And they're teaching then. So I, I don't know how to. So I went to the national program and uh, my who ended up being my coach long term guy, Jerry Swan, taught me how to triple jump. And so that's how I got into triple jump. And then, you know, as you obviously if you get better and better at something, you, you're like, oh, man, I'm pretty good at this. So that's how I got into it, basically. Yeah. And uh you competed successfully already in in your early years uh and at the, at the 1986 world junior championships you you made it to the final and finished uh on eighth place uh was that the moment you felt like uh, well i'm i'm going to do the triple jump i'm going to go all in for this yeah i mean well even before then because again an example i had uh, another gentleman who was a triple jumper competed at Krifta. And I had won my first Carifta, I think it was in 85. And um, so the, I, I had this conversation with him. He's like, oh, man, yeah, congratulations, whatever. And then he said, man, if, if he, he, he said if he would have kept training, if he would have kept doing this or the other, he could have won. So right then I kind of made a promise to myself that whenever I get done with the sport, I'm not going to look back and have no what ifs. So basically, that was my the you know promise I had to myself was that when I get done with the sport, whatever whatever that looked like, that I wasn't gonna have any what ifs. I weren't gonna look back and say, man, I wish I would have trained harder, or I would have stuck it out, or what I would have done this or done the other. So it was actually a conversation with a person who didn't fulfill their potential as to why I basically, um, you know, kind of kind of made me say okay i'm all in on this two years uh, after the world union championships you made your olympic debut at the age of 21 um how did it felt to compete at the highest stage of track and field when 
uh, when being so young? Um, that was actually Phil career was was kind of not not my ideal. Uh, well, this is what happened. So I went there thinking, okay, I you know first Olympic Games, uh, see see what it's all about, see how see how it works. I actually got injured in training a couple days before, so I was hurt. So I was, so I came away with, uh, you know, like not a real experience for per se, because I knew when I went to, to qualify that I wasn't going to be able to perform very well because I basically had, you know, injured my hamstring before two or three days before. So I wasn't being able to perform even to the level that I, you know, that I had coming in. So my first experience was exactly that, just an experience being on the scene, knowing the protocol, knowing how to go to alter the call rooms and just knowing the process, basically learning the process, understanding the process and then understanding the, who are the competitors, who, who winning, who's jumping well. So that, you know, the next time that I, I, I get there, I'm like, okay, you know what? I can, I can compete with these guys. Yeah. And you, you made three other Olympic games. So, uh, hopefully you learned something from that. Um, okay. So, Uh, later, you attended to the University of Arkansas and uh, yeah. competed for for the Razorbacks. And uh, th this university is well known for producing great triple jumpers like yourself and Mike Conley and uh, Edric Floreal, for for example. Um, was it an easy decision for you to to choose Arkansas, or did you had any other college in mind? Yeah, I had other universities in mind, but once I had a visit and realized who they had training there and the successes they, that they had in the past and the group of people that were currently there, because a lot of universities say, oh, you know, we had so-and-so because University of Arkansas, uh, Arkansas State, which is actually a different university, Al Joyner went there and they were trying to recruit me, but Al Joyner didn't, he didn't live there anymore, he didn't train there anymore. And probably the coach that coached him probably wasn't even there anymore. But they were just going off the previous one success. So I was like, okay. So I don't know if this guy knows what he's doing. But at, when I went to the University of Arkansas, Mike Conley was still there. Edric Florial was still there. You had a whole number of people who were, you know, and the coach that coached them all was still there. So, yeah, that was a pretty pretty easy decision. Probably one of my better decisions career-wise, obviously, because – You just basically got in the program, and it's what I call plug and play. You just competed and or showed up to practice every day and gave it everything. That's what I call getting skull drugged. Basically, if you're if you if I put you in that situation, if you showed up and just basically gave you a hundred percent, you were gonna get better. So you would have taken the same decision today. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, it turned out to be a good decision as you had uh, a couple of successful years winning the NCAAs back-to-back -back in, yep. in 91 and 92. Uh, did you enjoy your, your time uh, in college? Oh, yeah. It's a uh, you know, really good time in terms of you know, the environment, uh, university, and then Yes, being a great student athlete and then traveling every most weekends during the season, competing in some of the better um, track meets across the U.S. It's it's a great um, level between between um, high school and and being a pro because because. You know, it's that perfect medium stepping ground. But yeah, it's a really great experience. I would, I would uh, suggest it to anybody if you can get a chance to go to a major university that basically has really good, um, you know, really good coaching and really good athletes in your particular event it would be something to do. That that's that's a that's a a great life uh, life experience for sure. Still friends of a lot of the people that I met through. You know, that I went to university with, and some of my teammates and stuff. But yeah, it's a it's a great life experience. 
And uh, during your time in college, you also broke the 70 meter mark for the first time. How did that feel? Um, it was kind of well. See, the thing is, this is this is the other issue. Well, not issue, but so at the time, I was in the I went in the states. They used to still no, they would measure in meters, but post the performance in feet and inches. So okay. for us and been in the western hemisphere for me the the mark was like 55 feet and then the next biggest mark would have been 56 feet which is 1707 so i had jumped my first competition competing indoors for the university i went over 55 feet which was which was the a measurement that i first like wow okay this is this shows me that i i'm i have the ability or the talent to be a world-class athlete so I, that happened, but the first major meet I went to were obviously you said like seventeen meters. I it was crazy because it was a conference meet, even though it was a windy mark at the University of Houston when we were in the Southwest Conference. The conference doesn't doesn't exist anymore. It's um, now the pack, um, Big Ten or Big Twelve or something. And um, I jumped uh, seventeen meters forty one at uh university of houston at the southwest conference uh no south yeah southwest conference uh finals so for me that was that was a big like eye-opener like wow okay you know that's that that puts me in a position to basically be one of the best triple jumpers in the world so yeah it kind of gave me the confidence that you know hey i can compete with these guys In 1991, you were back at the world stage uh, at the world championships in Tokyo. Uh, yeah. This time you you did better than you did in at the Olympic Games in 1988, and you qualified for the final and finished uh, sixth. Uh, what are your thoughts after your first world championships final? Um. Yeah, I thought I thought that you know it was my first real competition at the world-class level that I showed up in you know relative decent shape and and um, and and the ability to compete and to see where everybody else was in terms of world stage because Kenny Harrison won at that that meet and I think Leonard Velocian end up um, I think uh, was um, Yeah, Velocian was second, and I think Mike Conley got was third. But then, you know, just to to be in that atmosphere and compete at that that level in terms of of um, seeing all the the you know to being right in the mix of the best guys on in the world stage and what what that looked like and you know how how that was going to affect um, you know my career going forward in terms of you know could i actually compete with these guys or is it or is it a situation that you know while wow, these guys are way talented than me i'm never gonna get to that level but it gave me the the hope that i was like you know what wow i can do this that this is this is you know keep keep plugging away at what i'm doing i i can get there kind of thing okay so it gave you the confidence to know that you could be there yeah Yeah. Um, okay. And in 1992, uh, it was time for your second Olympic Games. Uh, this time in Barcelona, and uh, you jumped 17:24 and finished uh, fifth. Uh, but you were only a few centimeters uh, short of the podium. So I guess you were a bit disappointed, or were you happy to to make it to the Olympic final? Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it from the standpoint because technically that was my national record. That was my furthest legal jump in my life at that point. So I showed up to the Olympic finals and, and put together the best jump of my life. The, the problem I had with that Olympics was that I had a couple foul jumps, which would have, I probably believed I could have medaled, but the wind was weird. I don't know if you remember Mike Conley won the 
Barcelona Olympics with 18, 19, but it was the only windy jump of the competition, <laughs> which was crazy. But the, the problem was the wind there was like, and I had that happen to me where I would, I well, let's put it way, he had the only legal, he had a, a tailwind. I had a tailwind on a jump that I fouled, which was obviously one of the better jumps. So it's crazy because the wind would go from um, minus one, you know, minus 0 0.8, 0 0.9 to, to plus 1.8 or plus two. So all of a oh. sudden you had, you know, your previous run through and you were, you know, maybe behind the board a little. And then you go to, you go, you go, okay, I'll leave it there. And then next time you run and then you got this tailwind, which put you a little over. So it was really hard. Cause I never, I never sight adjust to the to the triple jump board. I never looked at the board. I always trust trusted my approach, and I had checkpoints that hit my checkpoints. Try to make sure I hit my checkpoints, but I've never sight adjusted to the board. So, so yeah, it was it was. I came away from it with. I always try to take the positive away from a, a meet, even though I may not have gotten a performance that I might have ultimately desired or hoped to. But um, I, uh, you know, just, you know, learn, learning curve, could come away from it thinking, not, not thinking that, you know, hey, I'll never have another opportunity at this. Always thinking, okay, what did I learn from this? How could I make the next one better kind of thing? Yeah, it's a very good, yeah. it's a very good mindset to have. Yeah. Um, okay, and... In '93, uh, your that was the year when your professional career took off for real, and uh, you started out very good uh, by winning your first global medal uh, when you finished third at the uh, World Indoor Championships. Right. How did that feel to you know to win your first major major medal? Um, actually, that was crazy because at the championships, I technically didn't win my major champ. I don't know if you read all this story, but I was technically fourth at the championships. There was a jumper who got third who tested positive, so I didn't get the medal till afterwards. Oh, okay, okay. But but the crazy thing about that meet was same same scenario. Um, <laughs> this is a really interesting one. So the world indoors was in Toronto. Um. And I was jumping, and then I had this jump, and when I landed in my hop, I felt like the runway gave way, because you know it's an indoor runway where the, they're elevated wood runways, right? With yeah. the mondo on top of the rubber on top. Yeah. I put a hole in the runway. Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah. So I so. broke the runway, which now there was a major delay in the competition, and... Then they had to fix it and put a new part in, and you know, the funny part is that track ended up being the track that was at the University of Arkansas. University of Arkansas, after I left, bought that track several years later when they built their new indoor facility. <laughs> okay, but did you injure yourself or were you fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was okay. But um, I same same scenario there. I where I, I, this was really upsetting because I realized I had a jump there that I had fouled that was really close to the world record, and I was like, wow, I know I could do this kind of thing. And I know Pierre Camara, he actually everybody else benefited from the new runway surface than I did, so. <laughs> It was it was kind of frustrating. So I remember training for the next two years for Indoor Worlds, like like realizing like okay, I need to I need to get this right. I know I can I can do this kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's tricky to jump on these elevated uh, runways because you know you never know how uh, <laughs> how the ground responds to your jump. Yeah, yeah, and during the outer season of. 93 you you struggled a bit and you couldn't really deliver at your at your best why do you think that was the case um well people a lot of i guess people don't know about this one but so in 92 my um indoor season at nc2a it's my last year in college 
indoors, I actually got third or fourth, third, I think, in indoors. But I was diagnosed, I had spondylolisthesis, which is actually my spinal processes in my back, Whoa. which I broke. I broke L3, L4, L5, one on either side or L3 and L5 and L4 on both sides. So my spine, I fractured all my spinal processes. Whoa. So I wore a brace for a long period of time. I did a bunch of training in the pool and on the bike. So the next couple of years, I basically, there was a lot big parts of my training that I couldn't do. So I, you know, obviously as a jumper, I do a lot of volume bounding and stuff. And when, when after 92, after that fall or 93, my performances weren't the greatest because I couldn't do a bunch of stuff in training. So we were figuring out ways to stay training and do what I can do and work on trying to get back, back in shape. So that was, that was my major setback from 90, 93, 94, basically where, where my, I, I knew why my performances were off simply due to the fact that I couldn't train like I, I was training because of my, my injuries and trying to get my body back together. Your body started to cooperate again in 95 um, when you were back in Barcelona for the World Indoor Championships uh, and you jumped a championship record and a lifetime best of 1772 um, to win your first uh, major gold medal. Describe the feeling of when you became a, a world champion. Oh wow, that was that was that was really awesome because um, you know that's something you've been chasing all your life, kind of thing. Where you work really hard on trying to um, you know achieve, and then to ultimately see it, and then ultimately see it come to fruition, and actually work really hard at at uh, at um, you know it's all the work because people don't see all of that, right? So here you are where you work, you spent years and years and years working really, really hard at at um, trying to trying to um, perform at a high level and and you know it's 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 a really satisfying feeling simply due to the fact that you spend so much time, effort and energy and then to actually have it come to fruition, actually have it pay off is unbelievable because you're sitting there going, you know, wow, will this ever happen? And then for when it does happen, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing because it's like, it's like, wow, it's just an undescribable feeling basically. And then to do it with the performance that obviously of my life, because obviously it was the best performance I ever had. And, um, yeah, it's just euphoric. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, I've never taken drugs. I never smoked weed or, you know, but I'm, 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 it's like the best high I've ever had in my life, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the other one, you talked about the runways, right? Yeah. So yeah. in Barcelona, obviously, because like I said, I, I always try to walk away from a championship with, with learning more, learning more than I knew pre previously, right? Yeah. So the deal, um, I did when I got to Barcelona is I looked at the runway underneath the runway, how it was constructed. I was like, wow. Okay. So the, the runway from a triple jump board forward in Barcelona, the supports were twice as wide as they were in Toronto. And they had supports down the middle. It was like a checkerboard pattern. Every 30 centimeters square from a triple jump board forward all the way to the pit. So the energy would be given back to you so much better because of the runway. So I looked at the runway. I was like, oh, and that runway was designed that much better, which gave you gave you the energy back so much more efficiently, which was, you know, the thing to uh, that that ultimately helped myself. And then I think uh, Yolanda Chen ended up breaking a women's world indoor record on that same runway. Okay, okay. Also, I guess it gave you the confidence that you could, you know, go out there and fully, like, go all in and not, 
not being afraid of <laughs> breaking the runway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so after your indoor season in '95, you you started outdoor season very well, and um, uh, in your first competition, you jumped uh, a new personal best and national record of 1762. Uh, and at the World Championships later that year in, in Gothenburg, you repeated that distance, but right. you had to settle for, for silver because Jonathan Edwards broke the world record that is still standing today. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on on that uh, on that championship final? Um, I mean, well, you saw because he had jumped the furthest jump ever, be windy earlier on in that year. So, you know, that was kind of to be expected. Um, I don't know. It's Somebody's got it posted. If you YouTube me, they show the end. At the end, I had a foul jump that was over 18 meters, but I don't know if it was far enough to beat Edwards' performance. I felt that I could compete with him. I felt that I had an 18-meter jump in me. If I could put it together and not, you know, get too excited and put my foot over the board. But, um no, I just looked at it as, like I said, a great season and and always look for, forward to, to great competitions and great battles. It's not not so um, disappointing to, to get second if you know you put together your best performance and the person that beat you put together their lifetime best performances. You just got to tip your hat to that person and go, you know, you're a better man today than I was, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously looking back at it now, you know, most successful year of my, my jumping career. In the final, you, you started with two fouls, uh, before you jumped 1731 to move to, to move on to the last three rounds. Uh, how did you handle that situation like that when you, when you need to, to get uh, a jump on the board for, uh, in order to, to make it through? Yeah, um, the the issue there was it's like, uh, shoot, what's her name this year at Worlds, right? The women's long jump. Um, the German. Yeah, Mihambo. Yeah, the situation was is not that she wasn't jumping far enough. Same thing. It wasn't that I wasn't jumping from from takeoff to landing that I wasn't jumping far enough. Edwards had jumped two world records. I was trying to go get Edwards, so I was pressing as opposed to me just executing what I need to execute. And um, so I knew I was jumping far enough to the point of takeoff to the point of landing. So I just backed it up. Even if I took off from behind the board, I would jump far enough to get another three jumps. That was a goal. So just made that adjustment. And okay. I Now I jump far enough. Okay. I'm, I'm into the finals. Now let's attack it and try to go get Edwards again. So it's it's... It's life experience, obviously, to that point, you know, being through a bunch of competitions at a high level and realizing what's happening and how things are happening and what's going on and what's not going on. So it's it's a lot easier when your performances are really good, but you're just fouling and you're just not putting them on the board. And then to make the adjustment to jump far enough to get three more and then uh, come back and attempt to attack it. I don't know if you remember Nissa Kravitz in that same competition, right? Same worlds. Yeah, yeah exactly. She, she had two fouls and then she did what? She jumped the world record. <laughs> that still stands today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, what are your thoughts on, on Jonathan Edwards and, and his world record? Um, Man... I think, which is funny, which is, you know, the sport we usually, we usually, um, you know, we're, we're, we're great imitators of whoever's doing the best. Right. And so, but the thing is he's, he, his mechanical execution has shown us that speed and technique is probably more important than power and than, than technique. Uh, technique is critical, but his 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 mechanics, if you look at it, is maximum efficiency. He wastes virtually no to very little energy in in his landings. And so 
And so his uh, his mechanics and technique have caused him to obviously, you know, get this world record, which which um, which uh, you know still stands today. I mean, if you lined up uh, Christian Taylor and Jonathan Edwards, you know, they would, in terms of physical attributes, Taylor's probably a better athlete. But obviously, um, Jonathan is a much more efficient mechanic, mechanically executing in terms of the technique of it. And so due, due to that, that component, you know, it's, he, he's basically shown us like, wow. Okay. Cause if you look at it, he loses virtually no forward momentum, no forward speed. He's, so he looked at the, cause obviously the way I trained to train triple jump was about creating forward momentum, about pulling, actually making that limb of yours pull forward as hard as possible and to, you know, create forward momentum as opposed to his mechanics were about his mechanics were his mechanics were about creating vertical force to basically keep his body vertical, upright, and keep the speed going forward that you generated down the runway. So yeah, he's he's kinda changed the game. It's just funny I haven't seen anybody else attempt to to imitate what he's done. Which, you know, I figured somebody would have tried and, and at least to see if it worked for him or doesn't work for him. But yeah, no, he, him and I, you know, like I said, I have tons of all those people I competed against and competed with are, are, you know, really good friends of mine. And, and, um, you know, that, that was, I think great competitions I had with him basically before and after that fact. Before the world championships in, in 95, you had jumped uh, a 1775 uh a wind dated 7075 in ridiculous plus 7.1 meters yeah how was it to jump in in such a crazy wind it was hard because um you know Elvis Casada actually was figuring it out but he he is what i can i call a a Well, the, the Cubans, I think they sight adjust to the board. So he physically at some point makes a physical adjustment on, on the board. So I was struggling with, you know, obviously because you change your approach in month because it's blowing. I mean, it's in Spain. It was just one of those phenomenal wind tunnels, right? And so it took me the better part of the first three jumps to to basically attempt to try to, you know, put put a jump on the board and have some halfway decent mechanics and then not the only the other part of it, it was funny because you know my sponsor at the time i had like several different pairs of shoes i think i jumped in like three different pairs of shoes that day so i was huh. i was doing all sorts of adjustments to try to adjust for for these weather conditions and, and this was just one that i i finally put together which i basically put on the board and didn't over rotate and timed it that i could you know And I think I did it on my fifth jump. And Casada was I, I gotta give him I gotta give him his his props is that he came back on his fifth round jump and actually came back and jumped further than me in, in the condition because what the the funny thing that happened was was that everybody else was struggling and he, he jumped like two or three jumps in a row where he was in command of the competition pretty pretty handily. And then Basically, everybody else was struggling. And then so all of a sudden, my fourth round jump, I actually put a halfway decent one together. So I said, ah, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know how to figure, that, I figure this out. And then so the sixth round jump, fifth round jump, I passed him. So I was now in the lead. So he had 10 because he was he had two jumps now to respond. And he responded. He came back and got me. But, yeah, it was it – was, it was, uh, it's weird because – you're bringing more speed to the board than you normally would. And then, then it's a timing thing. And so you got to be in shape for that kind of situation. But yeah, it was, it was fun when you, when you finally put it together, <laughs> you finally make it work, but it's a, it's a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you put it together, you can jump very, very far. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's fun because, you know, I think the other thing to that, in my opinion, is, and sometimes, actually, I kind of did that, where 
I used to where I jump my national records at altitude. It's a good place to jump Texas El Paso, and the reason I used to go there early would be to attempt to get my rhythm and to show myself or my self confidence and my body that hey, it's possible to jump X distance, and so that's that's what it was. It it, it was a, it's an aid because the altitude, the wind resistance is less. And you, you could actually, you know, if you work at it, you could actually get some really good performances. And so because of that, I, I, you know, I did exactly that where it's like, oh man, you know, I can, I can, um, I can get, I can get uh, some pretty good, good marks up here. In 1996, you had a decent season and uh, uh, at your Third, now third Olympic Games, you finished uh, uh, on uh, sixth place. Um, are you happy with your performance at the 1996 Olympic Games? Uh, no, I was kind of disappointed from the standpoint. I did something, I thought about it, and I didn't do it. So between my first three jumps, my approach was not the greatest. And then I thought about between the first the semifinal and the final round to change my approach and I had the time to do it. It was a minor change but it was a change and I didn't do it. And so my performance wasn't the greatest. What was really mad is that the next competition I went to in Salamanca, I changed my approach and I jumped way further. I was like, this sucks. When I should have taken a gamble at at uh, at the Olympics and and rolled a dice and possibly had a chance to medal. So yeah, my some of my Olympic competitions, I I I have some regrets from the standpoint that it was frustrating that I didn't maximize the abilities <clears throat> or opportunities I had to to do to do better than I did. So after after that year, you did a lot of. Uh good competitions but you you wasn't as stable on the 70 meter plus as you were before why do you think you couldn't stay on that high level anymore uh, i think situation of just total usage my body had taken i think the way i trained i trained really hard we did a lot of volume bound and hindsight looking back at it i would have done I would have trained differently. I was trying to train the same. I would try. I was trying to train the same as I I would have if I, if I when I was competing at my best, which is you know obviously what you attempt to do, but um, that wasn't that wasn't you know my body wouldn't wouldn't respond the same. I needed more recovery, more rest between between what I was doing and and um and what what you know what I what I ended up ended up attempting so the volume that I was doing when I was young I could get away if my body would recover when I got older I was training the same way but my body wouldn't recover so therefore my performances would drop off and not realizing that hey I need to back off and take more rest days or we cut back the volume so yeah so from there forth it was a little harder on me in terms of in terms of my performances kind of went downhill from that point uh you still had a, a great career and you had many great moments uh what are you what is your best memory and proudest achievements uh, of your career in the world's 95 obviously to go there and put together world championship record and and to you know obviously my lifetime best performance and to go do that when it counted with you know be you know that was definitely a highlight something that said i you know only world championship gold medal that i've achieved or actually anybody in my country that's ever achieved in terms of in the sport so it was it was um it was pretty you know I, I can't complain about it like I said me sitting here now talking to you I don't have any what ifs I mean the knowledge I have now if I don't know and then I'd have made the adjustments hindsight's twenty twenty but I can't complain about the fact that I you know it what happened happened and 
I gave it the best. So in other words, I don't have no what ifs because I did the best I could do with the information I had, with the ability I had and the knowledge that I had. And yeah. so that, that was basically what, what, it, what had happened. So I, you know, for me, that was, that was, um, uh, I can't complain about it. I, I, I don't have any regrets with my career. I gave it, I rolled a dice with what I had and, I think I got everything out of my out of this body that I could get basically. Yeah, and you know, if you're if you're doing your best you you can't do you can't do it better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you think has been the main keys uh, in order to have a, a such a great career as you you have had? I think a lot of things and I obviously over time you learn the key for me was that early decision of not looking back and saying what if to to work my butt off every opportunity i got and it's a couple components getting around the best talent in terms of coaching and training partners that's a big one and that was that was a like a couple of decisions in my life that I got I got I got to chalk up. One, my coach my my first coacher who taught me how to triple jump, Jerry Swan. He was a 16 meter triple jump himself way back in the I think in the 60s. And um and he's a he's a IAAF um instructor. He 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 coaches, you know, at the IAAF level, instructs at the IAAF level. Oh. Genius, genius in terms of coach. You know, he, he knows his stuff. He's a brilliant man, and so to learn under his tutelage was was huge because he basically set me up to be the athlete I was. Because you know he just didn't coach us like this is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing today. He would explain why we're doing what we're doing, the purpose behind why we did what we did, and then later on he would ask you, okay, what's what's for practice, what we're doing today in practice, and then you'd had to come up with a workout. Oh, you, you hopefully by then you'd know what the workout should be, and then after that he would say, "Why are you doing it?" He would ask you, "Why are you doing it?" So he made you a thinking athlete. He made you understand, you know, the principles behind what we were doing and how we did it, and to question stuff and to understand it. You know, so that was the key to set up my whole career in terms of. He he started me off with a situation that allowed me to look at things and go, okay, how am I going to do A, B, and C kind of thing, you know? And then why would you do this, or how are you going to do this, or? And so he made me a thinking athlete. So I I I thought all about why I did the things I did, and 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 analyzed all the components behind training and why we train a certain way and what the purposes were. So that was one major key. The other one was, you know, my decision to go to Arkansas where I basically worked out with, you know, half, well, 96 Olympics. Um, there were eight people in the Olympic final. Jerome Romain, Mike Conley, Robert Howard, and myself made the Olympic finals in 96. That's half the Olympic final, and we all trained together. So we had half the world's Olympic final I saw on a daily basis, which is something you can't replace, you know. So those those factors right there were, were, were huge. Great, obviously, and Dick Booth being a great coach. So Jerry Swan, great coach, and teaching me the principles of jumping and figuring it out. And um, Dick Booth and, and the training group I went to. And then ultimately, my, on my part, making a decision to hard load this i'm trying to think they're saying half the battle in life is just showing up so but yeah i i, I like i said i know what ifs and yeah i it, like somebody says you know you're a sponge with water how much and the water is your talent how much of that did you get out i think i wronged the, the sponge pretty dry yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay it's good it's good um okay so you were known for being a very powerful and strong jumper um, and you showed that by you know having one of the 
most amazing step phases uh, because you know the step phase is, is almost always the weakest one but you made it uh, probably your, your best one so how did you do that and and why um you know you certain people have physical attributes and you got to use your physical attribute my physical attribute was paul i was you know really strong guy um still am actually pretty funny i i work on the weight room still to this day something i like to do um and so i had i had the ability to to move mass i was really quick i mean in moving being able to move loads being very powerful so that was that was something that i always worked on and then um my step phase was was a, a case of mechanically you know working on a lot of the drills that we kind of done when I started out when I was younger and even even when I got to Arkansas. So, you know, because of my power and the ability to create the loads that I did, um, yeah, which which helped my, my step phase immensely. So, yeah, it, it was, I've always, always looked at, at people's step phases and, and to me, I believe that they traded them away, you know, where, where they, it was a trade-off to try to get to, to the jump phase. I talked to Christian Taylor and, and Will Clay about this a couple of times. And I explained to them sometimes, like, you guys are in a hurry to get to your jump phase because they're so good at it. But I says, you know, make the trade-off where if you looked at Will's 18-meter jumps this year, their rhythm's really good. So his hop is, you know, it's on timing. It's about timing, right? And so his hop timing is good. And his step phases and both his 18-meter jumps are probably some of his better step phases. And so that's the thing I always chase, you know, working on trying to actually put together a great step phase and be in a good position. So, you know, try to try to make them even, not be 35, 30, 35. Is that right? No, 16. No, yeah, 100. Yeah. 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 So... Or some people's step phase in the twenty percentile, twenty eight, twenty seven percent, or worse. The women are bad. You know, they they give away a lot. Between there was, I'm trying to think of the Bulgarian. She actually had a one of the better even triple jumps. She's a fifteen meter jumper. But yeah, yeah, but I yeah. So I always, you know, that was one of my physical attributes. So I I worked on it. Yeah. Do you have any numbers on the percentage? Um. Yeah, I gotta. I gotta dig them all up. I haven't looked at that stuff in a while. Okay, but it was it was pretty even. Thirty three, thirty three, thirty three. Something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. I was. I was. Yeah. I. I. If. Yeah. If you take my best jump indoors, because I'm trying. I don't know what the board was in Barcelona. I wasn't too many centimeters away from the end of the dirt, so my hop step was pretty, pretty even. If you looked at it. And then jump phase wise, so yeah, I I I spread my energy out fairly fairly evenly. To wrap this all up, uh, I have a few quick questions, and then we'll jump into a couple of uh, followers' uh, questions as well. Uh, so, uh, what are your interests now? What do you like to do? Ah, uh, actually, I live in Bermuda, and I know people looked it up. It's a very little island, 49 square kilometers or 22 square miles, surrounded by ocean. So I actually, I'm actually rebuilding a, a re, uh, rebuilding a, a Bartram. It's a 46 foot Bartram that I'm spent quite a few last few quite a few years oh. um, redoing, and actually I'm gonna try to make a tour business out of it. Do some um, executive rental tours and take people out during the summer and, you know, go cruising around and relax and have drinks and that kind of stuff. So I'm a, I'm a big boat. Well, my whole family is my dad, my uncles, my uncle's a carpenter, built a boat. My dad, my brother and I built a boat. So boating is a big thing that we've done and, and had, you know, had some really good, uh, fun in and, and spend, you know, it's just a hobby I love to do and create, create stuff with my hands. Yeah. Um, and what is your favorite food? Oh, 
favorite food? Uh, probably fish. Different types of fish depends on how. I, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give a restaurant a plain, uh, a shameless plug. It's a play. It's a restaurant in in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, called Boathouse, and they serve the best tuna tacos. It's actually ahi tuna, and it's in a taco. It's really good. Okay. Whenever I get there, I will try to <laughs> try that. Um, okay, and now if you were stranded on an island, which yeah. triple jumper would you bring with you? Ooh, ooh, stranded on an island, which triple jumper? Actually, a guy that probably not many people would know, Giannis Udme. Okay. You know why? Yeah, no. Pretty smart guy. We'll figure a way to get off the island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have some a few few questions from from our followers as well. Uh, so, Mister TJR uh, wants to know if you have any tips on how to hold the the step face longer. Yeah, actually. It's actually based on not actually holding the step phase. It's about the force you've created out of your hop. Most people, you got to analyze how you land your hops. I, I'm going to give you the drill, the the drill to work on it. So short approach in the fall when you start training, as opposed to doing just regular triple jump, do two hops, one step and a jump. So you go hop, hop, step jump so you hop twice one step and a jump with a shorter approach first of all you stand you do from a standstill you work on it and then you work on it from a little speed what that does is you're gonna find it hard to do the second hop and the reason is um because if you don't learn how to pull out of your hop the next one's gonna be tougher it's gonna be real tough to do and so and so it it'll work on your step phase by doing two hops. So we used to do that drill all the time. Two hops, a step, and a jump. We used to add speed with it. So it makes it work on your, your step phase. Yeah, it's a good drill. Um, okay, and then Zhang Jumps wants to have some weight room numbers of yours. Okay. If you have any, like, squats or cleans. Yeah, or... Um, shoot, I got to do... You're going to have to do the math conversion. Oh, um. Okay. I, I can't. I think I can do them off the top of my head. Six hundred sixty-five pounds, squats, back squats, which would be twenty. Let's see. So six, twelve. Let's see. Uh, what did 12, you say? Thirteen. So that's um. Did you two, say six hundred six? Six sixty-five in pounds. Okay, I look it up. It's three hundred one kilos. Okay, so yeah, it's it's decent. <laughs> <laughs> um, best cleans, um, three thirty five in pounds, three hundred thirty five pounds. Yeah, it's uh one fifty six in in kilograms. So yeah, that yeah. was that was my my two big ones yeah you 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 are strong or maybe you're you're not uh doing that anymore or actually well no not to that level (laughs) which is kind of funny but um uh i also deadlifted 565 okay back back in the days or now uh, back in the day, I, you know what? If push come to shove, I could still probably pull that. Whoa! I, I just don't lift it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And okay, so now the last question: if if you could invite a guest to to the Triple Jumpers podcast, who would you who would you invite? Oh wow! Hmm. Triple Jumper invite to the Triple Jump podcast. Who would I invite? <laughs> I think you've you've hit all my my probably Jonathan. You talked to him? No, I haven't. <laughs> him, Mike Conley, yeah. 
the I guys would. I competed with. I mean, I have a I have a litmus list of guys. Yeah. Okay. Because it was it was, I mean, the the reason I would say that is if the thing I would love to do, which I probably need to do, is to get all of us back together in a room at some point for whatever reason and. The, the stories I would have to have somebody there like nowadays everything's you know everybody's on YouTube everybody's got a channel and somebody just record the stories because there's a lot of really good ones out there yeah. so people would reminisce about competitions and things and and I guess you would have a different uh, uh, viewpoint on how how what people are thinking when certain things happen and that kind of stuff so it's pretty cool because I remember in 91 um uh worlds when mike paul broke the world record and then you know the days after we were we we hung out in tokyo and so i kind of got you know the inside scoop on basically how he was thinking about what happened during the competition and what he thought carl was going to do and and you know all of that kind of stuff so like i said it's different when you sit there and watch it but it's even better when you kind of get the understanding of what the athlete was thinking during 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 a specific moment you know what i mean you yeah. kind of get the cliff notes version of it yeah yeah okay i will i will try to fix uh jonathan and and mike then yeah yeah there there will be a lot of good stories there yeah Okay, Brian. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast. It was it was very nice to hear your story, and I learned a lot from this one. Uh, thanks for joining. No problem. Enjoy. Appreciate it. It was super interesting to listen to Brian and his story. I will definitely try to get more older guys like him into the podcast. Uh, it's nice to hear a whole story from someone who isn't jumping anymore. I hope you liked this episode as much as I did. And if you have any tips on who I should interview, send an email to info at triplejumpers.com or DM us on Instagram. I will soon be back with a new episode. Until then, have a good time. Bye. Tremendous speed once again. And he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Edith Albo for la posterité. Ah!